Thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 45 of 2021, and we are getting way too much rain out here in California. Careful what you wish for, I guess. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have my co-host Brian Deach, who's on the verge of completing his October Apple Watch monthly goal. You know, that's debatable if I'm actually completing it or just finishing it, because my goal was like, 7.2 miles per day and uh, I take Sundays off to eat my body weight in Doritos and watch football so I don't think I'm going to get there unlike you Chris who's probably uh, deathly close to that that number I think you had like 75 minutes of cardio a day yeah yeah just around there so got got a few more days and I might be able to achieve it this month you guys are the envy of all the people that are trying to exercise out there (laughs) And Glenn Medina, thank you for taking the time to be with us with everything going on. Our thoughts are still with you and your family. Everyone, thanks, Chris. And welcome back for jo- uh, to, to joining us here on the podcast. Happy to be back for number 32. It's been a crazy week and month. I've been recovering from a stomach issue and my father had a heart attack this past Friday. Good news is that modern medicine is awesome. And thank you to the doctors and nurses at Kaiser who took care of my father. He was discharged late, late last night, so... Awesome. That's great to hear, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, glad to hear he's doing better. Yeah, I think I'm 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 in a better mental state now with him being at home. So it's been uh it's been joyful. No guess this week. Our schedules have been quite fluid, and we rescheduled the recording several times a week, which is not good for bringing guests on. Combined, we have decades of information security experience, and are here not just to educate but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. A quick programming note, the three of us already know that we'll have difficult schedules next week, so there's a chance there will not be a new podcast episode next Monday. As I mentioned on the solo episode number 28, we want to make sure you, the listener, know that we might take a much-needed week off next week, and we'll be sure to be back in two weeks better than ever. Maybe we can do a, a best of podcast where we take little clips here and there to make up about 20 minutes of showtime. Yeah, yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah, it will, if we can't do a live show, we'll at least do a, a best of show. There you and go. by we, what we really mean is Chris. You just go through hours and hours of <laughs> podcast video or footage, put it together and make us look cool. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I should, I should make an, one episode with, with Brian's sound bites, like his, his quips and his sound bites. That, that'd be an entertaining episode. That and my funky laugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to our opening topic. The Apple event was last week where Apple revealed cheaper voice-only version of Apple Music, the AirPods 3, and new MacBook Pros with next-gen M1 processors. I love my AirPods Pros. I paid full price for them as soon as they came out, and I use them so much every day. They're just worth every penny, so I'm not planning on getting the AirPod 3s. The MacBook Pros piqued my interest, though, as my six-year-old MacBook Air is in need of an upgrade. For now, I'm living off a Mac Mini because we're just not traveling enough to justify the upgrade to a MacBook Pro right now. When I do travel, I take my iPad Pro or Microsoft Surface Book. Did you guys catch the event or read about it afterwards? What did you guys think about the apple event i i i did i caught parts of it the one thing i want to say is like don't be hyping up like how great the price is on your airpod pros bro like it's too expensive uh, i don't care if you think it's worth every penny <laughs> i don't want to pay it but the good news is 
I mean, I have two kids that have already given me their Christmas wish list, and I think the AirPod Pros were like two fifty before, but now the Gen threes are like one seventy nine. So boom, Daddy's saving some money. I'm digging that. And <laughs> you then, can still if, get, but you can still get the new AirPod Pros for like under two hundred, right? So it's yeah. kind of this. Yeah, yeah, I think the new ones are are one seventy nine. So it's it's even better discount, right? Yeah, perceived yeah. value. What is up with this like this voice only Apple Music? Is it like just uh, they they cut out the instrumental, or you can just only talk to Apple Music? I don't understand. I didn't catch that. I missed it all together. It's for people with HomePod or people that don't have Apple devices. So like Apple Music, you can get that on Android now, and it or HomePod, and it's. There's a matrix of what you can and cannot do. Like you, you don't have a nice interface. You don't have the option for lossless audio. It's it's mainly for people that say, you know, they tell their digital assistants to play some music, and it's about half the cost of per month of the regular service. My youngest daughter has gone like, uh, so we still have in a couple little uh, Amazon Echoes that the kids use it like at, you know in their bedroom or whatever, and. Uh, I was walking by the other day and my, my youngest is, she's like all in. She's like, uh, you know, Alexa, play my, you know, uh, favorite playlist, blah, blah, blah. And then like this, like, I even know you can make playlists or like songs or things like that. And she's just doing it without any instruction or UI, right? Is this straight from the device? So I can see how a voice only version of uh, Apple music could be successful. I just wish they'd bundle that. Right. So like right now I'm, I'm subscribed to like Apple TV and that's you know four ninety nine a month, and then this music thing that you can air. I think voice only is like four ninety nine. Then you can buy the the family bundle for like twelve something. And I may be wrong on that, but I wish they would just bundle all these services together and go, hey, listen, you want all this stuff? Fifteen bucks, right? They do. Or they have Apple whatever. One. Yeah, do Apple they? One. Yeah, oh, talking about Apple One. <laughs> that just just tells you how far behind I am. That uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I guess I need to go look. Yeah, you get the Apple TV and the the Apple Watch workouts and like was it like a, a terabyte of storage, Chris, or three terabytes of storage yeah. for the family and Apple Music? Two terabytes of storage for how much Apple a month? News. Apple One. Twenty. Twenty. Yeah, for the whole family. Nice. I'm gonna have to go check that out now. I just uh, for me, it's. The you know 1999 MacBook Pro 14 or 16 inch and it's like wow that's awesome and then they they spent expanded it out right there's two versions of, of the MacBook Pro there's the M1 Pro and the M1 Max it's like God why wouldn't I want to get the M1 Max instead of the M1 Pro that just makes no sense so that few hundred dollar price tag for the upgrade that that might stop you from upgrading to the Max. Yeah, but you know we're all technologists, right? We'll justify it some way to spend a few hundred or more dollars. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. I saw CNET I mean, had like posted a six thousand dollar Apple laptop. Like, that is insane. You can go buy a car. Yeah, they max it out. Yeah, you max out the RAM, you max out the hard drive, max out the CPU. Yeah, you, well, you can get a laptop that's about the yeah the price of a used Honda. Well, compare that to a Windows gaming rig, though, right? I mean, the, they're they're pretty. Like three, four thousand dollars as well. Not quite six, but they're they're pretty up there. Yeah, yeah. That at that point, it's not a gaming rig. This is like a professional's tool. Yeah, at that price. I, I I still don't know if I would use all those you know those transistors as far as being able to you know play video games, do you know marketing material or or make graphics. I, that's just not me, right? And I think I'm I'm pretty set on my my current MacBook Pro and my Mac Air. 
with the Intel chip because there's still a lot of applications that are that still run on Intel, not not as much, or it's getting better on the M1. I don't game like you you and Chris, so I care less. I just need to be able to load up my web pages, lucid chart. Yeah. Well, you you do things like like streaming and casting, so I think that's pretty processor intensive. So you could benefit from a better CPU as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't run like like we we use Audacity right to record this podcast. I don't run Audacity on my Intel Mac Air because I could just hear the fan, you know, chirping in the back. Whereas with the the M1, it's that doesn't breathe hard at all, right? The the processor works just fine. Yeah, I I have eight gigs of RAM in my Mac Mini. I thought that might be a problem, but I'm I'm really shocked at how much you can do on eight gigs of RAM with the M1 processor. Also, oh, you did get an M1 processor for your your Mac Mini. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, so I have the M1 Mac Mini with eight gigs of RAM, and I, the only thing that it struggles with is streaming. Like when I stream on Twitch, my frame rate's not quite there because it shares the RAM with the applications and the the GPU. But if I yeah did any any serious amount of streaming i'd probably want to upgrade for that reason but for day to day i haven't found anything that eight gigs of ram cannot handle i wonder if it's cheaper to do this and go like if you're trying to create a mining machine is this cheaper than creating a mining machine and how much could you actually mine with an m1 max not enough not not enough, enough. <laughs> chris has already gotcha. crunched the numbers not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thirty-two GPU cores on the on the max, right? It's just amazing. Yeah. All right, on to our first topic. It's become a meme now that we have a ransomware story of the week, but I wanted to lead off the podcast with this ransomware story for another reason. You all know the phrase "if it bleeds, it reads." That's a term we use here, at least in the U.S., which means that news always reports bad news because that's what gets people attention to help them sell more advertisements. Good news is rarely promoted, much less strewn across the front pages of newspapers and news website homepages. I would like to change that and report some good news we learned about in the ransomware industry this week. The ransomware recovery company MSYSOFT, which we have often spoken positively about on this podcast, They've been quietly helping victims of the Black Matter ransomware crew by creating a decryptor for the victim's files without them having to pay the ransom. It turns out that just after Black Matter launched in July of this year, MSYSOFT reverse-engineered the malware and discovered a flaw in the encryption process, which allowed them to build a decryptor for any affected organization. With the help of incidents response teams, CERT teams, and even going on VirusTotal to analyze Black Matter samples to determine the victim, MSYSOFT was able to help countless organizations recover their data without having to pay the ransom. Now, MSYSOFT is not UNICEF, they are a for-profit company, and I'm sure they were paid as they should be for their hard work. I actually don't mind if companies paid MSYSOFT to help decrypt their files because MSYSOFT does a lot of great work in general, their existence is a net positive on the security industry, and best of all, the ransomware crews lose out, which is another win for our industry. So the other night we were at a uh, like a pumpkin festival. I forget what you even call it. Anyways, little kid was running. He falls down, and uh, like the guy I was with, like the family I was with, he's like, "Yeah, he's like, I think the kid just broke his arm." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And it's turned around. Like I, I have no interest in helping others. So I, you know, kudos to these people for you know doing stuff for free. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm just not like that. And it's a sore spot, uh, sore spot with my, my wife because we'll be driving around and there'll be like a car broke down or a recent accident. And she's like, pull over. I'm like, no, it's just a t-shirt, honey. I'm not going to like, you know, she's like, I want you to stop and help these people. I'm like, you want me to stop? I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, I, there's literally nothing I can do. We can call 911. And that's about the extent of it. I'm not pulling anyone out of a car. I'm not taking on that liability. So she, uh, it's it's a constant, uh, you know, weird thing for us. I'm not very helpful. Uh, now, I mean, if it's somebody that I know, right, like I'll, I'll drop whatever I'm doing and, and haul about over there to help out. But for the anonymous public, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm just going to keep trucking. And, uh, you know, actually talking about this, I am a little curious to know, uh, Chris, do you know if like, how did they actually figure out how to, you know, uh, you know, reverse engineer this. Did they find like a, a vulnerable cipher, like RC4 in there? Like what was their end? Did they, did they discuss that at all with the black matter? I, I don't think they disclosed what it was because if they disclosed it, then black matter would have uh, patched it, which they actually did end up patching it. So this only helps people that have been infected from like the end of September, I think. But it was a, a flaw in the way that they implemented the encryption process. It left it, it wasn't secure enough that you could guess the key or you can generate the key material to decrypt it based on the, the, the virus sample. Well, see, now we know why it's free, because it doesn't actually work unless you have an old system that's been locked up for a long time. What's in the background, though, right? So I'm just like, why are they doing it? Is it like they get paid a sub amount? I, I know I hear free, but there's got to be a give to a get, right? Did someone defect from Black Matter and then start Unis, you know, this uh, M M MCSoft okay. and have took some of the keys with them and go, hey, like I, I could do this for part of the cost. So that's the, uh, the conspiracy theory in me that's thinking about how this goes. No, it's it's not free. They they are a for profit company and they do charge for the recovery services. It's just probably gonna be a fraction of what the, the actual ransom would have been. Yeah. It just makes you wonder if the, the they're actually working in cahoots with Black Matter saying, Hey, listen, we're gonna do this and then we know we're not gonna get the full bounty, but if we have you guys come in and, and do this, you guys can take a <laughs> sub part of this. And then uh it makes it look like you guys are heroes over there and it spurns your it's uh spurs the uh the uh that your, your ability to do things right. Your background gets better and better because you guys are saving people, saving people. So Plot twist. these guys are all a bunch of Bitcoin billionaires. So it's just like their it's their effort to give back to the community. Yeah. It was funny. I remember in the early, earlier days of this ransomware problem, when people would hire negotiators and middle people to handle the negotiations. I remember, I specifically remember there was this one company that said, Oh yeah, we, we paid this negotiator, uh, $50,000 to help decrypt our files. And then it came out later that, the, well, the ransom payment was also $50,000. So technically they didn't pay the ransom. They paid a negotiator who then gave the 50,000 to the, uh, the ransomware crew to get their, get their data back. Well, for the record, that boy didn't break his arm. I mean, it was broken before, but he had a cast. So for those of you that actually care to follow along that story, which you don't moving on. <laughs> told you he was fine right that's what, that's my answer to everything no one believes me but did you hit him no no he was just, just trucking know. right like he was just, <laughs> like just going 100 miles an hour on this plank and then just, he just he just bought him out somehow and did like this you know uh, face planted and he was just laying there screaming and uh holding his arm and it looked weird right and I'm, part of me too is like what you know as a kid that fell off a slide and had like a compound fracture 
and just going through that. Like, there's nothing I want to see like that ever again in my life. <laughs> I'm all done. It's sort of makes yeah. me think also that you know the kid already something obviously happened. He was wearing a cast, and apparently he didn't learn because he's still bolting around at 100 miles an hour and and falling down. Well, the funny part is my wife went over there to check on him, and then the parents showed up. And, and they're like, yeah, get up. And they're like, they're like kind of like pull him up off the ground. And she's over there like, are you okay? Like, you know, what, what's going on? What hurts? And like, he's fine. And he just like, they're just like, you know, wrangle him up. I'm like, see, this is how we're supposed to treat boys. So, you know, rub some dirt uh, on uh, it. Get on. As Chris Rock would say, just rub some tussin on there and then keep going. <laughs> <laughs> rub a tussin. <laughs> Good old Chris Rock. All right, for our next topic, this is going to be a follow-up, actually, to a story we did last week. I love good news so much that we decided to do two positive ransomware stories this week. The Dark Side Ransomware crew, famously known for attacking Colonial Pipeline and crippling gas supplies on the east coast of the U.S., they're trying to cash out their ill-gotten gains. A blockchain watchdog group noticed that Darkside transferred about $7 million U.S. million out of one of their known wallets and began laundering the money through tumblers and shady exchanges. The leading theory of why this is happening is directly related to the ransomware story we did last week on episode 31, where we talked about Revil's Tor sites getting hijacked and permanently getting taken offline. Are we finally stemming the tide of ransomware and the major shops are packing up? For my message to the ransomware gangs out there, I refer to Harrison Ford portraying President Marshall in the spectacular movie Air Force One. Your day is over. We will never negotiate. We will no longer tolerate and we will no longer be afraid. It's your turn to be afraid. It's interesting that, you know, this anonymous payment method, right, is is being tracked. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you follow the money, you know, whether it's, you know, through the bank or through the blockchain, one way or another, they're going to figure out who you are. It's pretty cool, though. I'm digging that. And that is probably arguably your best quote so far yet, Chris. And I think you should work that into your next uh, meeting uh, when they're talking about a competitor. There you go. It's your turn to be afraid. The be afraid speech. Yeah. My favorite uh, quote, right, would be the, uh, the Walter White. When trouble comes knocking, he's not answering the door. He's the one doing the knocking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. You use that when you're talking about your competitors? You know, there, there's a whole method to that. Like, hopefully we can talk about it. Like, uh, and like really what motivates us? Because I was thinking about that earlier uh, today when I was at the gym. And I'm like, my goal, like when I was an SC, my goal in life was to like, if I was up against the competition, I want to hurt their, I want to hurt them so bad. That I just want them to quit. Like, you know what? This is not worth it. Like, I want, I want to ruin lives. <laughs> I want to put them into early retirement. I want them to go work at McDonald's, question everything and anything they've ever done. I want to take it all, right? And, and, if, and if they're really good, I'm going to come work them for me and, you know, let, make them, work, you know, do the janitor baby, right? Like that's just want, what is going to happen. You want to body slam them back into the 70s is what you're saying. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zero regard for anything. That's awesome. Yeah, well, it is a good sign that these shops are starting to pack up. That you know, one of these major crews got taken down, and what we hope is this is the first domino, and the rest are going to start falling. Yeah, good point. Uh, it, for this, it's it's uh, it's what what I see is like something that like Brian had that had hinted to right is something that was supposed to be anonymous is now trackable. So 
good for good for us, right? Good for good for the good guys on being able to track this down. Yeah, and if the uh, did did that whole like uh, build back better plan go through yet? I haven't been following it. Where they can start to tap any deposit or withdraw six hundred dollars or more. Yeah, I think that's part of the. Is it the is either the IRS or the FinCEN? One of them is is going to be the the watchdog group watching uh, people's bank accounts for suspicious activity. Was it was that approved? Uh, I don't know the status of that right now. Okay, if it's approved, I mean, like that has to be for crypto, right, guys? Don't you agree, or or you or do you disagree? I would so today any transactions so so today the limit is five thousand so any transactions in you know, I think it's like ten thousand in cash or five thousand dollars in uh, in electronics fund transfer mm-hmm. uh, that gets a suspicious activity report file an SAR and that's how when we talked about last week that's how these uh, these these groups were able to track down potential ransomware payments was through these suspicious activity reports. So it's already a pretty low threshold on that, which is $5,000 right now. And that's to track people laundering money or dodging taxes. Uh, but to lower it to 600 seems a bit excessive. So I don't know if that's necessarily specifically for crypto because the people doing any kind of shady crypto business, they're likely going to be doing transfers over $5,000. So they, they'd already be covered today under the suspicious activity report re- reporting requirements. Well, how does that how does that go for the you know the guy that sat there and bought bought crypto at you know at ninety cents, two bucks, seven bucks? Now they're looking at sixty, sixty five thousand, and they just want to cash out, right? I mean, how do how do you how do you differentiate between the two other than the fact that it all it all looks shady, right? So that's that's legal. So you can you can sell the Bitcoin and I can deposit a hundred thousand dollars worth of cash in, into my bank account. That's perfectly legal. The bank has to file a suspicious activity report because it's a large amount of, of cash getting moved. That gets mm-hmm. filed with the, the IRS. And if I don't pay the taxes on it this year, the IRS will say, Hey, this guy deposited a hundred thousand dollars from Coinbase and he didn't report anything on his taxes, let's audit him and then that's how they get you. Yeah, probably another great conversation for later is like that was the whole point that you were in Bitcoin, right? Was that you would not have to pay the taxes on that. So another interesting conversation we should have. Only in certain countries, Glenn. U.S. treats it as uh, capital gains. Gains, yeah. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Speaking of good news, did you guys know that John Krasansky, who played Jim Halper in The Office and is currently portraying Jack Ryan on Amazon, he started a podcast called Some Good News during the pandemic it covered only good news stories and then it was so popular he actually sold it off to viacom cbs who immediately put it behind a paywall so doom on you for doing that so it was a successful good news successful good news viacom cbs buys it and puts it behind a paywall (laughs) it's like you want your good news feel good stories you gotta you gotta pay for that so yeah. is he still recording it, or do you just sell off the idea to them? He, he he sell off the idea to them. He's still a producer, but they they immediately kicked him off as a host and put somebody else in in his place. Poor Jim Halpert. Yeah, so, that just goes just goes to show you that the uh, the the news industry doesn't want you to hear good news, right? They want yeah, you to pay. Yeah, if for you want that. to hear yeah. death and destruction and pandemic, that's all free. But if you want to hear good news, there's 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 a cost to that. That's crazy. Any, anytime I see him like on TV nowadays, and he's he's there with his wife. I, I forget what what's his wife. Is it Emily Blunt? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I see him with her. I'm like, who the hell is this woman? Where's Pam? Right, in, like, in my head every single time. Like, oh, she's gonna be pissed. And then I realize, like, I'm living in fantasy land. <laughs> I think we all are. For our next story, if you listen to episode 78 of the Darknet Diaries, Jack interviews a red teamer named Zero One. A red teamer is someone who is hired by a company to try to break into them to test their security defenses without letting their security team know. The red teamer said that they often targeted mergers and acquisitions to break into larger companies who acquire them. That's because security at smaller organizations who get acquired it's usually not as strong as the company who is acquiring them, and that could act as their Trojan horse. Last week, we talked about Marriott and how they got hacked when they acquired the already compromised Starwood properties and integrated their networks together. I incorrectly called them Starbird properties. Last week, it was Starwood. I have some clients that I work with, and they, they do M&A activity. Their security team goes into the acquired company and performs an assessment of their security posture before allowing them to connect into the parent company's network. More often than not, the acquired company's security is so poor, they would never let the two networks talk to each other so they don't end up like Marriott. Back in the day when I was working uh, at a university, um, I was part of like, there's like a whole like M&A group. And anyways, the the federal government came in. So the way that you guys do business is going to become illegal in a couple of years. So you have to change things up. And so they got into this M&A activity and then uh, we started like, I remember we hired a, um, a red team, right, to go in there and, and do some of the stuff. And then one day they decided to do this on the existing network. And what they had found is that a help desk person dropped a, a rule into provider one and they were trying to troubleshoot a printing issue at one of the campuses and didn't work. So they put a, a firewall rule in that basically was an any, any. Uh, across the entire organization. Like literally the first firewall rule on any checkpoint firewall was in any, any allow. So uh, there's a, there's oh, a man. routine. Yeah. They, like needless to say, like everyone kind of had like that. Oh man, there's a mess in my pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we need to figure this one out. So I've, I've it's done not just that. It's like, how long has this been here and what's the damage? Yeah. So I've, I've been on a couple M&A activities with my previous previous company and you know they would acquire refineries and we would go in and basically just blow out whatever current network was there and stand up a a parallel network and start plugging in gear and then as we were plugging in gear we were taking the computers that they were on and basically re-imaging them so it it was almost it was it was it's difficult right because that takes you know three six months but uh, as the M&A activity was increasing, we ended up being pretty quick about it and started doing it in less than three months. You know, what used to be nine months ended up becoming six, and we were we were pretty agile enough to get it done in three. But it's a lot of work. I mean, to sit there and, you know, rebuild, you know, bring in new hardware, bring in new equipment, and, and then cut things over, which is quite different than what, you know, that you're seeing done today where, you know, you have to look at overlapping networks and stuff like that. But uh, the way I think the way we do it now with our technology is way better because you're not exposing the two networks across each other, right? The way uh, the way Zscaler does it, which is pretty cool. I think we, we, we bring a really cool story to the table. Uh, the good old nuke and pave method, just blow everything out of the water and just start from scratch. Like, it's very cost more secure, expensive. yeah, but extremely time and cost intensive. 
Yeah. And then you forget about that one app that was that's only used like once every quarter and it comes up and it's like, we run this one application to run this one environmental test. And then they're like, uh oh, <laughs> hope you have a backup. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then you the realize line for the entire organization. Yeah. And then it's a two million dollar environmental fee. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that you were talking about star bar or star barred properties last week i was like what the hell are you talking about like i don't even know what he's talking about so i'm glad to clarify that it was actually starwood because that makes a lot more sense i remember yeah. when that first went through like there was all kinds of benefits like if you were a marriott person right and you you live by hotel points like there was a that was that was good uh across the board i was never really that high and mighty on on the the whole like getting status with marriott well any hotel chain but for the people that did man they were just like that's the only thing. they wouldn't shut up like it's the only thing they would talk about yeah. <laughs> like, hey man, what's up? Did you hear that Starwood Properties Marriott? Man, life's gonna be good. I'm like, ah, yeah, don't care. I knew a couple guys. I knew a couple guys that were Starwood, and I think they were doing a two for one. Like they got double points coming back to Marriott because they thought Marriott was inferior. And I'm like, what the heck? How do so you? One of those how do they do that? Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm always a big Marriott guy. Enough. Yeah. Gold status for no. life, buddy. I've got two more years, and I get platinum. <laughs> Not to brag or anything, but for my former employer, I was actually gold status at La Quinta Inns. <laughs> uh, does that just mean you see a room without cockroaches? Yeah. He gets a lukewarm breakfast burrito <laughs> that's microwaved. Who owns La Quinta? Is, is it just, just them? I don't even know if I even, I've even heard of that place. It used to be just them. I know recently they got acquired because I drove by one in my hometown and it says La Quinta buy and then, and then somebody bought them. I don't remember who it is. Someone someone will probably message me on what, what it is. But but yeah, they, they did get acquired by somebody. Well, yeah. And, and then if you think, look now, I, I hear Marriott made a play and they're in the timeshare market now, right? Well, they've been in the timeshare market, but they, they bought RCI, which is uh their, or yeah, regional, the... Yeah, that that timeshare group, the the whole group that manages timeshares internationally. So, I think they always had it. it was Marriott Vacations that was their their separate vacation ownership group. Yeah, yeah, I'm a that customer. Was, that was one of the things that I loved about the, the Marriott Vacation Club. Like you could literally, uh, and it was always dirt cheap. If and, and you know to be clear, right? I I was flying to like Vegas for the majority of the stuff, but I could stay there, and it was just like it was an awesome hotel. Like. Plenty of space. It was nice and clean. Uh, wasn't crowded. Didn't smell like smoke. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Vegas, every time I go to Vegas, I try to stay away from the Strip or any hotels that have a casino in them simply because I don't want to smell the smoke. I'm with you, Brian. It's not I think Cosmo thing. is actually on the Strip, and I don't think they have any gambling there, but I'm with you. I, like, I'm, I'm way over the, uh, the, the Strip. I think it happened when I was like 24 years old, and I had no money, and I won like 2500 bucks, and then I went home less than like 18 hours later with $300 less than I left with. And I'm like, man, this place sucks. Like <laughs> I am done. <laughs> like I, I was all high and mighty for the first hour when I won, you know, random money off of a $75 pull on a slot. And then I went home broke and tired. Gave it all back. <laughs> Gave it all back and then some. Yeah. Well, I think we can close on this. Vegas was not built on winners. No, no. For our last topic, I wanted to return to some non-tech roots and ask a truly random question. What is the most useless thing they teach at school? 
Common core math. (laughs) (laughs) So I I have two answers for this. The first one is the food pyramid. Not only was it useless, it was wrong. I think it mainly had to do with the food industry's lobbying efforts when the FDA or USDA, whoever's in charge of it, when when they came up with this, this food pyramid. There's always been a boogeyman of food, and when when I was growing up, it was avoid fats at all costs. That even meant healthy fats like fish, nuts, and avocados. There was such an anti-fats bias in the media that companies like Subway wouldn't even offer avocado because they were just too high fat. Later on, it would turn out that sugar and carbs were the boogeyman, so low-carb diets and healthy fat diets was the new thing, and Subway had to completely retool to sell breadless sandwiches and offer avocados. The other thing is a a little bit more personal to me, because I I grew up in San Francisco, and in order to graduate from high school in San Francisco, you had to pass a swim test. It involved swimming laps in a pool and treading water for a certain amount of time, and I'm not opposed to kids knowing how to swim. In fact, I think it's an essential life skill, and I put my kids in swim lessons really early on. But Really, this is San Francisco we're talking about, not Lake Michigan. So, you remember that quote in from from that movie Gone in 60 Seconds when the the guy, in, he's trying to teach a woman how to drive, and he says, you know, I, I can't swim. I know I can't swim, so you know what I do? I stay out of the pool. So, I mean, if you're on a boat, wear a life jacket. If you can't swim, don't jump in a pool. And if your friends throw you in a pool knowing you can't swim well, you probably need new friends. Okay, so... I- just just a comment here, right? I think that whole food pyramid, if I remember, is all started by the grain industry, right? Like the corn. So the whole idea that you have to have your your fiber, right, was started by that. And that's my two cents on that. And you're right. I think that food pyramid is wrong. Um, I went to school, high school in Southern California um, for a short period of time. And I remember swimming was part of that. And I was not the greatest swimmer, but I at least knew how to swim. What was a piece of that was I had to learn how to juggle to get up, to get a to get a grade in PE, and you sit there with uh, you know like I said three three tennis balls and you had to show them that you could juggle for a minute. I thought that was pretty useless until you show your kids that you could juggle, and they're like they're so amazed at that at that small age. You're like, how did he do that? So life skill. So I can't tell you what was the most useless, but I can definitely tell you what's missing. I think uh, there should have been a bigger focus on financial management, like just how to be an adult. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's hundred percent. And I and I feel and I really believe that because I'm 43 now and I'm still learning stuff. And I'm like, man, if I would have known this earlier, Jesus, that would have been helpful. Uh, and on that note, to all the parents out there that uh, don't tell your kids what you make, I think you're doing them a disservice. I think you need to tell them right. They've come accustomed to a lifestyle and they're thinking, oh, I'm going to go out here and get a, a, a you know degree in, in uh, you know, how my feelings feel, and then I'm going to wonder why I'm broke all my life. It's because uh, you're not living in reality. So I think that's big. Uh, it, number two is kind of the career options, right? Um, it's like, oh, you want to be a firefighter, a doctor? Like there really wasn't much perspective in there. And I think there's so many thing, different things that are out there that you could do, whether it's white collar or blue collar, to afford an awesome life. Like you, you could have done that. And then the last part would be a more focused approach on, on college. I felt like I went to college 100% unprepared. I, you know, I went in as a straight-A student and the scholarships, the whole thing, and I got there. I was like, oh, my God, like, I can't cruise through this. I can't just, you know, do awesome on homework and then in, and do mediocre on tests. I, I lost my scholarships because of that. So 
I think those are probably the three things missing. I know that's not what you asked for, but that's just kind of how I feel, Chris. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good point. That that the things like juggling, I don't, I don't. I, other than impressing your your kids, that's probably not very useful. But but I hundred percent agree. Things like financial literacy, how does compounding interest work? How does a credit card work? Know that this is not free money. Just basic, simple things like that. Uh, I think that that's definitely missing. Um, I think what did you say you when you went to high school, you did have a class on like how to balance a checkbook, how to do your yeah, taxes. Yeah, it's quite a while ago, right? So I remember they were they, they actually had a class on that. Um, I can't remember what it was. I think it was part of home economics. Yes, I took home economics so I could learn how to fry an egg and cook bacon. Um, I think that's why I really liked that class because you got to make breakfast in the morning and then eat it. Um, and then part of that was just, um, I think, uh, uh, ledger, like I said, checkbook, checkbook balancing. So the idea that, yes, you have checks does not necessarily mean you have cash. It's all dependent on what's in your actual account and, you know, what's debited at the time when, uh, the bank sees the check gets cashed. So it was fun. Like I said, I, I had a great time and I learned a lot about that, but nothing, nothing prepares you more for life than like I did. I, I went into the military, cold turkey, backpack on, you know, backpack or a duffel bag, went to the army and they took care of you, told me how to eat, told me what to wear, told me when to sleep and told me when to exercise and you just follow. So I thought, I thought that was great. And I think everybody should have at least a little bit of, of service, like maybe two years to realize uh, how great the U S is. It forces you to grow up quick. My little brother did it. And I remember he was like, he was, he was insane. That's the only thing I can say in high school. He went to college or he went to the service and he came back a man for sure. Uh, wow. On, on your little note about balancing checkbook, like that's, that's one small facet of the thing. Right. But like, what about finding a job? that may have a 401k and a pension and it's not really what you make it's what you save right and like having those kind of conversations and explaining to them like if you start now even it's a little bit doesn't seem like much it's going to be it's going to make a huge dent in the future we look at like uh my my wife's grandparents homeboy literally cut hair his entire life and if you went in there to see him up until the day he died it was like yeah that haircut it's like it's it's eight dollars right but somehow he, he managed to pay off his house, put all his kids through college. I think he had like five kids. Um, and when, when he passed, right, he had, he had a chunk of change to give to all five kids. Like, it's just insane. And he did it because he saved. He, he's like, anything I make of, you know, my bottom line is this. I just want to save everything else. And they made it work. Yeah. Well, well let's, let, I guess, fast forward, right? I mean, let, what's the reality? Like, do kids really use checks? I mean, my daughter, my, my youngest daughter went to San Diego state and she's over there and she's like, checks, what do I need? What do I need a checking account for dad? And I'm like, cause you need to see how money rotates and you can't take money out of your savings account because you only get a max of six accesses a month and then you get charged. So you've got to have a checking account and you've got to try and correlate it for the times, right? With ATMs and debit cards and whatnot. So it was a good lesson learned for her. Um, and she was of the mind like, Hey, I took money out. Why don't I see it being removed from my account immediately? And I'm like, there's this thing called time, time it takes to, to be debit, you know, removed from your account. For it to post. Yeah, yeah. For it to post. And then her, her biggest lesson was like, Hey, I don't understand this credit card thing. So I charge money, but when do I pay it? So it's like, I was like, oh, it was another discussion with her on that. And I think her mom helped smooth that out because I, I was about up to 
up to my ears in redness as far as trying to explain these life lessons. I think we have some kids in, in our in our household that are going to listen to everything that we say or a vast majority of it. And then you're going to have at least one kid that is going to know better, but they, they choose to make their own mistakes. And I've seen that already. Yeah. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, Brian is up. Right on. So I stayed up all night trying to figure out where the sun was. Then it dawned on me. Best one ever. That's a good one. All right, to wrap things up, MCSoft has been offering decryptors to Black Matter's victims so they can recover without paying the ransom. Darkseid is quickly trying to cash out all their Bitcoin after Revil's sudden takedown. Hackers are targeting acquired companies to gain entry into their larger acquiring companies. And the food pyramid was wrong because of food industry lobbyists. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As a reminder, there's a chance that there will be no episode next week or it will be a best of episode. But we'll definitely be back in two weeks. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pepcag Podcast. You can help grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars on the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pebcac podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Later, boys and girls. Have a nice day.